Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. Sonic Speaks. Hello and welcome to Sonic Speaks, where we talk to the makers and shapers of modern audio drama. I'm Jack Ward, your host, and today we have some guests from an incredible team of writers, producers, and actors. Reimagine Radio began in 2013 by John F. Barber as a creative project to engage community voice artists, musicians, sound artists, and engineers in creative research and performance. Reimagine Radio produces and shares sound-based storytelling from the literary to the mass appeal, from old-time radio recreations to contemporary audio drama. It is my pleasure to speak with my guests today from Reimagine Radio, Mr. John Barber and Mr. Mark Rose. Hello, gentlemen. I can't tell you how much I've looked forward to this. <laughs> Hello, Jack, and thank you for having us. It's very exciting to be here. This oh, is John Barber, by the way. What a find to be able to discover you guys. It's like, you know, I mine audio drama all the time, and then I, I discovered you, and I feel both ashamed that it's taken me so long and and thrilled to find like-minded individuals who've been at it as long as you have. John, you began back in 2013 with War of the Worlds. At least that's the earliest show available on the site. And you just finished a remake and a relook at that story. Is there something unique? And, and by the way, you, you wrote stuff about it in some of your research books. Is there something unique about that tale, War of the Worlds, that strikes your imagination? Well, I think it's certainly uh, an example of a classic radio drama. And it's certainly the most infamous radio broadcast ever. I had uh, found it easy to use in classes, university classes, uh, talking about radio production, radio drama, because the narrative is just so compelling and exciting. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think I ever harbored a, a hope that aliens would invade Earth or, you know, anything like that. But it just uh, it seemed to me to be. Um, a well-organized story. It captured your attention immediately upon first hearing. It moved quite along, at least for the first half. I always felt the second half was rather dull and boring uh, compared to the first half. And so that was something that we addressed in our most recent reiteration, reimagined version of, of the drama. And frankly, I think also the students enjoyed it they had heard of the War of the Worlds, but never really listened to it, never talked about it, never analyzed uh, you know, what was happening in the storytelling. So it was quite a nice thing to use in digital storytelling classes or audio uh, storytelling classes. 
and it startles me that the uh, the version they did in Mexico ended up in the destruction of the radio station. Uh, <laughs> I forget exactly which city that happened in, but it th that just shows the power of story in, in multiple language, whether it's English or in Spanish for that reason. So what compelled you, John, and I want to get to Mark as well on this in a moment, but what compelled you to start uh, this whole project of Reimagine Radio back in 2013? What made you think of doing this? That's a great question, Jack, because it allows me to give credit where credit is due, and that is to my students at university. The project was for students um, in the process of learning audio editing to take the one hour broadcast of the War of the Worlds and turn it into something that was less than 10 minutes. And that would be their audio story. And then they were to take those 10 minutes that they had selected and create something of their own, a backstory, a prequel or a sequel, a continuation or you know, previous beginning, whatever they were most interested in. Students were working on various projects and one day a great question bubbled up from one student, Dr. Barber, what happens when people don't know the story? of the War of the Worlds. How are they really going to appreciate the work that we're doing here if they can't see our project in context of the larger original audio drama? So um, I said, okay, you got me. You know, we really, we need to expand our, our project. So I very quickly contacted the Willamette Radio Workshop um, and, and this is how I had previously met Mark in a production of theirs and asked if they might be interested to give a performance of the War of the Worlds, uh, a public performance as a way of opening the student sound art exhibition that I was planning uh, in a gallery space in downtown Vancouver, Washington. The answer was yes, if I would arrange the space. So I found uh, space availability at our local historic movie theater built in 1936, two years before the War of the Worlds broadcast, single screen, classic uh, you know, movie theater. The owner and the manager said, sure, I don't have anything planned, um, but you have to take care of all the promotion. So I ended up, you know, becoming a, promoter and uh, an arranger and an actual physical producer of a live performance that um, ended up quite serendipitously. The date was October 30th, and this was the 70th anniversary of the original broadcast. And we were very lucky. We filled the movie theater to standing room only, and people were in the lobby outside listening through the you know the curtains uh, into the auditorium portion of the theater we also identified some people in the audience who remembered hearing the original broadcast so we were able to bring them up on stage and just as a prequel to the performance ask them to talk about you know what do you remember what you know what about it and then the performance itself the Willamette radio workshop did a great job and after it was all over, 
that uh, we looked at each other and said, hey, this was really fun. Let's do this again. So that got Reimagined Radio started as a continually evolving live uh, performance group. Uh, and Mark was involved in some of those early productions, uh, augmenting the sound um, and helping us out in post-production uh, work. So that's the, sorry to be so long and detailed about it, but it's a fascinating story, the origin story of Reimagined Radio. I'm so jealous. I wish I was there. I wish you had taken recording of the whole experience, including the people who came up to talk. That would be really cool to listen to. Mark, uh, you have, but it was all we could do to think yes. of how to put together a, a live performance of a classic radio drama and make it seem as if the audience was actually in the radio uh, studio theater you know, listening to the live broadcast. That was the contextual framework behind the whole performance and each live performance that followed uh, from then on. I, and I want to talk more about your process when it comes to pre, post, and, and all that kind of production to do the difference between a live and a, and a studio project. But we'll, I want to get first to Mark because I don't want to leave him exactly. waiting. Mark, you pointed out earlier we had cross paths so many years ago in the earliest years of the sonic society tell me about your relationship with radio drama what's that been like through the years well it's been very uh very uh <laughs> tumultuous relationship uh, with a uh, radio program called dry smoke and whispers radio theater back in 1980 and uh it was the first thing that uh my associate and i had ever done in terms of uh, certainly broadcast um, and uh, I found this little fledgling, you know, uh, community radio station out there in the, the wilds of Tampa who decided to take a, uh, a risk and uh, air this, this, this thing that we had proposed to them about a uh, tele uh, telekinetic uh, special detective in another galaxy in another dimension, which in 1980 didn't have really, really well. That was it. Uh, so <laughs> we, 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 got, we got that. I I quickly went into um, uh, post-production uh, mode years after you know years after that show was started, and and that became a career for me, not just a you know a fun thing to do with uh, with characters and stuff. Uh, so uh, that kind of became what I do now. But uh, I have never loving this kind of work, and and have always done it in some way to do it. My yeah. my colleague in our uh, our our newest radio program called Fusebox, uh, we joke all the time. I created that therapy for myself because in most cases in the work I do, I'm not challenged the same way <laughs> that I might challenge myself or that shows like that challenge. So I create chops up, and uh, we're we're going to be starting our eighth year of that uh, that program in January. So. Who who to thunk it? But yeah, always been involved in audio theater and radio drama, and uh, always, you know. So did you? I have so many questions, but uh, that's Fusebox, thefuseboxshow.com for anybody who's that's interested. Correct. The website is there. 
maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what the fuse box show is but i want to tell you it's not i don't have it within hand here but i still have my cds of dry smoke and whispers i think it's three <laughs> of them in in, yes. in a case it's one of my my special prizes would love to have those on mutual at some point would love to be able to uh, replay those i think they would be a joy to do so oh so, yeah but, I, uh, yeah and, and we can happen um we fantastic yeah that that would be awesome to have those uh see the air again yeah back on wednesday wonders so tell me about the fuse box show well that is a uh that's kind of that's a very in the sense that it's it's mostly a commentary type of thing that we supplement with uh, either comedic comedic bits spoken word material uh sometimes it's serious but most of the time it's absurd and it's just a very fun play. and uh, we have done interviews on that show we uh, <laughs> one of my favorites was uh with to the ed wood estate everybody knows who ed wood is uh filmmaker of long on gut plant all that stuff well uh, bob is a, a friend of mine he used to work at uh, a radio station los angeles and he uh he became the heir apparent to the ed wood fortune because fortune quotes uh because he he knew kathy kathy widow and uh right. managed to get Funny, because Kathy didn't know that they were making a movie about her husband because they never talked to her. So uh, he he put the uh, he put the uh, Clear Channel people on that, and they got her some bucks. <laughs> Good stuff. Fast friends ever since. But yeah, so we we've we've done interviews. Last part, it's it's just a it's a, a very lively half hour of um, of some talk and some some fun uh, comedy bits and. Uh, a lot of spoken word so i i love that. the i love the subtitle for it, the show for everybody but not everybody <laughs> will like it that's awesome that's a fantastic it's really it, it's really true subtitle yeah. to work from john what are some of your earliest memories of radio drama you you, you were a professor I'm, I'm assuming this is in the theater department that you were working from actually i um I convene with uh, the faculty of the Creative Media and Digital Culture Program at wow. Washington State University, Vancouver. Um, it's totally separate from the theater department, hmm. but there's certainly the opportunity to uh, take features and affordances of digital technology and jump in any direction. And uh, I've been fortunate to be able to pursue a what I call a creative research or practice-based research focus, you know, as I've moved through the, my years in the, the academy. And fortunately, the university seems to support uh, what I'm doing uh, to follow my interest in radio drama, uh, especially since I cast it as a community-facing uh, project and have um, often incorporated community and the university in some of the productions, some of the episodes. I, I noticed that and in doing the research for this, I'm, I'm doing my master's right now in English as a second language. And I'm fascinated with if I could, cre if there's evidence to demonstrate that good old uh, audio drama could be an effective tool to help people learn English as a second language. 
I'm reminded of things like Life with Luigi as a, as a comedic show back from old time radio drama. And I've noticed that you spend a lot of time sort of doing some identifications uh, between oral storytelling and radio drama. Do you have, do you think there are some pretty hard lines as to the various different types of stories that you can tell through sound? My initial response is just to say no, because sound is such a powerful medium and works directly with the brain to engage our imaginations. So uh, even acousmatic listening situations where the source of the sound is unknown or at the very least unfamiliar, we still can make a connection. We humans can still make a connection with that sound based on our previous listening experience and repertoire of um, identified sounds that you know, we've experienced in our lives. Um, I think it's a really interesting idea, though, just to kind of pivot for a moment back to you, the, your use of radio drama to teach ESL is very fascinating. Uh, I, when doing my graduate work, I also spent some time in the ESL field, and the sort of my mantra was, you're going to learn a new language when you start dreaming in that target language, and radio drama could really help. Uh, because it's so immediate, so connective, so engaging, much more so than the, you know, the exercises where you just speak into a microphone and listen to your bad pronunciation in your own headphones. And, I mean, how's that you know, make you feel about reaching a target language? Probably not so great, but being able to understand what's happening in a story that speaks to something about the culture that wraps up the language that you're trying to learn that could be very interesting very compelling why don't you when you write your master's thesis if that's the track you're taking through the program use your background and in, in radio drama and suggest you know dramas that that might be useful for uh, teaching particular target languages. It, it is in my mind, that's for sure. Mark, right. uh, John was talking specifically about sounds and how we use familiar sounds to sort of paint pictures in our heads and stuff like that. My buddy and, and, and a friend, Lothar Toppen, uh, turned me on to infrasound. And, and there's a whole aspect of sound that isn't familiar but can set people's mood on a subconscious level. Can you talk a little bit about some of that? Because I know you've worked so much with sound, you must be engaging in that a lot too. Yeah, it also overlaps into music. And so a lot of those ideas, um, I tend to bring in or approach and, and so forth. Um, I know it's very interesting that you mentioned this. It's, not, it's a little, it's, a, it's an interesting one, I think. Uh, there is this uh, Brazilian group called Wachi, U I, and uh, I was exposed to these guys back in the mid '80s. They make their own instruments, everything, and uh, mm. there are a couple of things that are of Western origin that we would identify, like a violin, maybe, 
but it's been modified in some way. But everything else is manufactured. And so consequently, they produce melodic music that uh, gives a, a, a different reaction in the human body. It's, it's very interesting because you can't quite pinpoint what that sound truly is. And as a result, it creates an intrigue. And a, a brain chemist guy I was working with in Florida back in the that was his entire research. It was all about how sound, particularly in his case, shamanic sound, healing in the brain. And he was interested in what sounds did what. How do we, what, why is doing something to the pancreas right now? Why is that, how is that happening, you know? And so he was really interested in that. And so consequently, uh, as, as I was working with that guy, it, it's, it, it became very clear that certain um, tonalities, particularly organic sounds, and not ones that are easily identifiable like the low note on a piano, a harpsichord or something, but tones that are complex, um, that evolve time and stuff like that. You're hearing this sort of work a lot more in uh, film and, uh, and tracks. There's not a lot of busyness going on in the soundtracks anymore, unless, of course, you're you know, watching a more. But uh, for, for most of the procedural stuff or dramas or things like that, you're getting these very evocative that are happening that aren't moving as much as they are propelling the emotional standpoint. They're moving that up. And it's very interesting. Um, in that field, and, and luckily we have tools now for us to sort of access some of these things. Granular synthesis is one of the things that I'm very fond of using and used in, in our uh, recent War of the Worlds thing. Uh, that's a, an extraordinary thing because you can take literally any sound, doesn't matter what it is, and pull what they refer to as grains of audio and manipulate tonal color. Uh, vibration of it, uh, whether it goes up or down or sideways, or whatever, put it out of order, or sample at different areas very quickly so you can't tell. This is all very interesting stuff. It's a sort of evolving uh, musical palette, but I also use it in terms of sound design because I think it's just it just opens up worlds of, to create you know sounds that haven't really been heard. So you say it's a tool called granular synthesis. Do you mean that it, it you can find uh, plugins that would be yes. useful for that? Absolutely. There's there are a great many. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the one of the more interesting ones is uh, although it, this this particular instrument does more than just grain. Things pretty dense. It does a lot with granular synthesis. It's a it's a plugin made by a company called Spectrosonics, and it's called Omnisphere. This is a big chunky program, but it it allows you to do all sorts of things, not only with this, but your own sounds into it. Uh, in the logic uh, world, if there are folks out there playing Alchemy, which is a stock plugin, it comes with the with the platform. That has some granular stuff in. Fun to play with. Um, there, you're seeing this technique, you know, employed by a lot of companies. I think Bateria also uses it. Uh, Native Instruments has a bunch of them. So yeah, so they're all 
terribly expensive. I mean, some are kind of lofty and spendy, but uh, a few are just very affordable. And it's a good place to just and fool around, see what you can come up with. Now, those are mostly used in the studio afterwards. It's hard to do those live for the live shows, correct? Uh, no, we've actually done, we've, we've actually done live. I'll tell you a good example of it. We did a, uh, this was for another company. This was a company called Film Music. Music did was they took uh, pre-existing films, stripped out all the soundtrack, played music to the screen, and rebuilt live the entire soundtrack as it was happening. Wow. Very ambitious. So naturally, one of their first projects was Gamera. So, <laughs> so I had to come up with ways of making the uh, sound of a giant turtle come out of the actors on the stage whenever they wanted that. So we rigged up uh, some wireless headsets and uh, ran it through uh, a bunch of and some granular stuff, and it actually worked. And within the program that I tend to use in the live setting, it's something called Ableton Live. It works really well in there. It's very sophisticated application and yeah you can get away with uh, uh, using some pretty heavy art live setting if you're uh, if you're of the mind <laughs> very cool very cool uh john maybe you can talk a little bit about the difference i've mentioned earlier uh of of the cycle specifically with reimagined radio when you're how different is it to be operating between live shows and recorded shows in like what's the cycle like in a pre-production, production, post-production post uh, cycle for, for you guys. What's it like to create a show for Reimagined Radio? Well, I have to say first off that, um, and Mark has been very instrumental in changing my mind on this, that it's actually much more pleasant working in the studio than working to try to get something to the stage. So working for a, a produced recording episode that can be broadcast or streamed uh, live or on demand certainly has challenges. I mean, there are production challenges and timing challenges and resource challenges, but it's much more manageable than a herd of cats that, you know, acting troops uh, tend to be. And... Uh, finding a venue that's available and arranging for promotion and getting enough rehearsal time. Um, Mark and I, I think, are agreeing to collaborate on each episode for the purpose of creating new worlds and ways to be in them using sounds. And that's uh, certainly a lot easier and a lot more productive when you've got quote total control you know over the production when you're i mean even being in a vintage movie theater it's great i mean the the panache of the whole thing is is wonderful but anything can go wrong i mean we had one episode where one of the characters uh during an intermission rapidly got himself inebriated in the bar on the second story of the of the uh, theater and when it came back to the second part he finished his line and jumped off the stage and uh, 
you don't know when these sort of things are going to happen and you don't have any control over them and it's um uh it's just a lot of stress that it's nice honestly not to have to deal with that sort of creative challenge um by working in the studio i um so uh just to finish that thought i'm enjoying very much not working for live performance just now um and the covid pivot of course makes that pretty much necessary so it's easy to accept the challenges and and actually revel in them but i do in the back of my mind have the thought that it would be very nice to offer live performances uh, once again but were i to do that i would do it a lot differently i'd have a dedicated ensemble of voice actors and sound artists foley artists uh, musicians other people that and notice I'm right away I'm just you know getting impossibly big in terms of how to finance all this but you know, a group of people that would be dedicated the same way I am to make sure that we can provide the best possible performance and then I think it would be great to have a, a series of performances but to speak about the process I'm sorry um, in either case whether it's a live performance or a recorded performance i always start thinking about the audience who's going to be listening to this who's the primary audience and what do i know about that audience and what do i know about subjects that they're knowledgeable about and interested in and how can i extrapolate from that to be able to offer perhaps a radio drama that they are unfamiliar with but might like to know about because it touches on uh, areas of their own listening experience and and interests so detective uh, crime uh, you know sort of dramas from the 30s through the 50s of course are still very popular and there are several that are very well known and we've done the Maltese Falcon and it's done you know very nicely but it's also fun to take a look at some of the lesser known uh detective uh, type stories for example candy matson the best of the female detective and yeah that's going to be our next uh episode uh in in november it's um as part of the process also i think it's very interesting to try to shift the roles uh gender roles so for example in the war of the worlds professor pearson played for 82 years by a male character it was really interesting and exciting and satisfying to say why couldn't that be a woman you know a woman can be an astronomer just as easily as a man can can be an expert a scientist and you know be able to keep her head and wits about her while the world is devolving into chaos as Martian machines tramp around. And she did, and the actress did a wonderful job too. She, she did a great job, and that's kudos to Mark. Uh, you know, Mark's well connected with a, a community of voice actors that um, are looking for opportunities like Reimagined Radio is trying to provide. So it's the start of, I think, a really productive. Um, relationship and 
it's been working well pretty much from a distance. Um, I produced the script and then the actors interpret the script. We got lots of readings that weren't on the script pages that really worked that you know we were able to add in the last minute simply because it sounded so great you know asides and off the cuff remarks off microphone remarks all of which added to a sense of being in a world and experiencing that world uh, through sound so research background considerations uh, determining what resources are available including people uh, timing um, what do we have in hand? What do we need to get? Um, all of this has to do with uh, planning the scheduling. And uh, then we pick the topic that we're going to work with and begin a process of continual discussion, I think, continually circling around the subject. I, I liken it actually to using a spiral staircase where you go up and down, you're constantly going over the same territory, but each time from a different perspective. And Mark and I meet regularly and talk about the project underway. We always come up with a new idea. We're you know, willing to experiment with it right up to the last minute. So the shows or episodes are constantly evolving. So maybe controlled chaos is a way to summarize. <laughs> Pretty the, typical, the isn't it? <laughs> I've heard people, I've talked to a lot of people who've done live radio drama, and I'm always interested in producing it. And I, I get a little panicky when I think about what an audience watching has expectations for compared to one just listening on their own. And if there is a different kind of expectation that can come. And I've been told that comedies work really well. And it's hard to stray too much from a, uh, a comedic background, even taking a serious subject and not adding comedy in it for a live show. Have you found that's an issue? You know, I've found that uh, people that have come to talk to me about being in the audience in a live reimagined radio performance, a lot of them say, <clears throat> I'm here to watch the Foley work. I want to see how the sound effects are produced. You know, I want to see... <laughs> what improbable thing somebody's going to use to make a sound of a head being wrenched off a body or you know whatever the sound effect is um and i think also they enjoy watching the actors interact with each other um and uh, you know it's not rehearsed movements it's not staged the acting, I mean, we have chairs on the back of the stage and the actors sit there and then when their lines come, they walk up front to the microphone. And so how the characters move and, and that sort of thing. And research uh, suggests uh, to me that um, radio dramas produced live on radio were pretty much a one and done um, experience. And people had their scripts in hand and as they finished the page, they would simply drop that page to the floor. So we tried that in a couple of productions of Reimagined Radio. The stage was littered with pieces of paper. But so many people came up to me after the performance and said, really liked that touch. Throwing down the script and the 
the materiality of the performance and you're done with the script and you're on to the next thing. The drama is continually unfolding. It's just out of sight over the sonic horizon, I guess, to try to make a metaphor out of that. <laughs> so those visual elements are quite exciting to the audience, but at the same time, it's all about listening. Cool. Mark, you wear another hat that I didn't know about, and that is that of casting. So how different is that for you? Like, what kind of things do you look for when you're trying to cast a particular uh, a, a particular show? Because I know for myself, a variety of voices is very important for people to identify different characters. So do you, do you have, like, stock ideas in your head, or how do you work with that? Yeah, I, I think and, and a good example of this the next thing we're going to be working yeah. on. Um, I like to get from the writer, who are they, who, but what sort of voice when they're writing this? Because I, I want to do as much honor character in the writer's head as humanly possible. And that usually opens up all sorts of, you know, satellites and, and stuff like that. Or as in the one we're just, we're just uh, doing this Gersky thing. Uh, it's, it's based on real people. There's in, in existence per se, but there's a type texture or a, a, a Aiden still character. And it's like, all right, who is best suited for this? Because we've got quite a rose gallery here of people, you know, incredibly talented and can fit a variety of things. So it's, it's then it's just matching the right thing, matching the right person to the right uh, vocal texture. And then it's, you know, the, the thing to bear in mind, and you, Jack, you've heard, as I have, even in, in well-known productions where you have people's voices that are so similar, that you're not sure exactly who delivered that last line unless they're saying their name every two or three seconds, you know, and that gets very, but if you plan ahead and, you know, probably try to match this, the, uh, the voice character to the, to the character involved, the texture of the, the character involved, you're really going to have uh, a much more pleasing, more understood uh, reference between people. And uh, so that's, that's a big consideration. Many people, I, I know, I, most of my uh, uh, introduction to talent out here has, it came from a relationship with Sam Mowry, who is an incredible voice talent out here. And he Sounds introduced awesome. me to this. He's yeah, did a couple of shows of mine as well. Of course, he's just yeah. he's just a prince of a guy, as they say. But uh, uh, he has amazing people that uh, he's worked with over the years, and uh, we have supplemented each other's sort of category and or of a catalog of, of voice talent out here. So it's it's quite a, 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 a group of people who are just very gifted and get it you know because that's really important you do have to first of all you have to like what you're reading you know that's kind of that helps uh, a lot of actors can blow past that like it anyway but i prefer if they have an attachment to it it just it it plays better so uh once you once you have that is that makes things uh move along wonderfully well and and uh like pat i heard pat pat uh, professor pearson in this uh, production of War of the World, I heard her voice the moment I read uh, John's adaptation. I was it, she as I heard Larry, who played um, 
Phillips in, in this name. I heard immediately they were screaming off the page to me. <laughs> and it was just a matter of whether Larry could actually do it. Because his schedule was a little. Pat, I, I just presumed this, this would be something she'd be up for. And uh, luckily for us, uh, she was. So. That's great. Just one more uh, extra thing, a little on a side. I noticed that you are a three-time Emmy award-winning sound designer. Congratulations. I can honestly say I don't know anyone who has that kind of honor. Uh, <laughs> what were the projects that you worked on that got you and there? And this is this is a fun thing. Um, and it was so unlike anything I would normally be involved in. Uh, I designed and actually played a character in NBC series for television, uh, for uh, uh, daytime television, called Shamu TV, which was, uh, it, it, I think that series ran uh, for maybe three, one, four or five, must have, daytime Emmys. And uh, so I was grateful to that uh, company. So it, mo the two of them came from that show. The other one came from another wild associated thing for a guy named Jack Hanna. Jack Hanna is a, was a, I don't know if he's still a wild world of whatever. Uh, uh, he traveled around and, you know, introduced uh, exotic species to you. And uh, this was just one show that uh, was about, I believe it was about primates. No, I'm sorry. It was about, uh, it's been a while. Uh, it, was, it was about predators. That's what it was, and because um, normally they use a, a lot of uh, library music in shows like that, and uh, they didn't do that. And I'm to do some stuff in there that I like to do, but uh, yeah. So th those are great experiences. And, um, um, I'm very pleased and delighted to be, you know, a recipient of that. So well, congratulations again, John. I've been struggling to try to get people to use the moniker audio drama for some years now um, collectively so that we can all do it. I've seen people utilize a number of different ones. I have no problem with radio drama too, of course. I just use audio drama because sometimes it's off the radio. Uh, so, But I've seen people start to use things like um, audio fiction or fiction podcasts or something like that. and. I've struggled to try to explain to people that fiction and drama are two different animals. Am I wrong in doing that? No, I, I don't think so, Jack. I think um, I, um, a work of drama has a different context and oftentimes a different direction that it might take over a work of literary fiction. Of course, there can be drama in fiction, but um, drama, especially as we might consider it on a stage type performance, seems to me to be a, a conscious effort to present dramatic situations to, uh, uh, you know, to a viewing audience. And that, to me, makes it uh, a separate, uh, or it makes a a solid um, differentiation, I think, between other literary forms or sonic uh, events that uh, we might consider 
Yeah. It's, um, actually, it's interesting that you asked the question. I was hoping that you wouldn't because I didn't <laughs> want to have to provide a definition of anything. Um, it's, uh, it's a very academic endeavor, I think, to want to define terms because once you've defined a term, then you have control over that thing because it's in a place, it's in a box, it's in a pigeonhole, it's in a category, it's in a folder, it's on a certain part of the shelf, you know, whatever organizational structure you might be, you might be thinking about. Um, it, uh, to me, is a bit more appealing to think of sound as being a very fluid medium that can uh, leak through boundaries Mm -hmm. very easily and provide amazing resources and influences in storytelling as it might happen in different forms. So um, for that reason, I always think of and speak of reimagined radio as being about an exploration of radio storytelling, you know, using the radio, using the features and affordances of radio for telling stories and that in itself is a very leaky sort of definition because i think it means that you're arguing that radio itself the the medium the technology the the ecology of radio is an art form uh, as well which that idea appeals to me so it, it works really well in this context i, I think you're right i think that story is permeable and you can't have too many hard and fast rules and walls about it i was always struggling because it's one of those things that a lot of people don't know about and a lot of people mistake so i know lots of people that hate audiobooks despise audiobooks but love radio drama and so um any any misunderstandings of stuff like that or vice versa to be quite honest could could just sort of in my opinion can can make it much more difficult for people to find us in the first place and absolutely so, but a lot of that uh, dislike might just not be dislike of the content but rather dislike of the media um, i mean a person who doesn't like an audio book may be someone who really likes the tactile experience with a book a physical thing bound pages uh perfect uh spine uh you know gilded lettering uh slick paper whatever might be the physical affordances uh, of the book the ability to open and close it smell the paper smell the ink turn the pages none of those features and affordances are available the same way through an audiobook, even though there are attempts to reproduce those uh, sonically. I mean, we can have the sound of turning pages and and that sort of thing. But those people might just be reacting to what they think a book should be and how the experience to the book uh, should be based on physical features and affordances. We're really lucky to be working in a field of, of sound and, and sound possibilities because, I mean, sound is what? The most ephemeral of all media. As soon as I finish speaking, my words are gone. 
and uh, you know unless they're recorded in some way so uh, trying to present an ephemeral experience in a way that will make a lasting impression is a worthy challenge I think uh, I think that's this too I, I know too when I try to talk about differences I find fiction and audio and I have no problem with audiobooks I listen to them all the time myself so I, this is not me who's saying it I'm not I'm not placing myself in that way I just know friends um, and but I know that books have a tendency of once upon a time where this has happened whereas a lot of radio drama is immediate you're you're placed into the moment right that's the aspect of drama of stage is is the immediacy of that particular element and and i've always found that really compelling because you're suddenly that third person sitting on the stage almost like listening to what's going on or watching experiencing what's going on rather than being told a story too and i i try to identify those as as markers uh and again you know you've got crossover all the time especially with detective stories right so but the point still isn't to create a world that's believable enough so that the audience reader participant whatever we want to call the consumer of this uh let's just call it a drama since that seems to be what we're talking about um is going to believe that he or she can actually be engaged in the action and can uh, see themselves in their imagination as the protagonist and see themselves taking meaningful actions as the the story unfolds now that's not necessarily um native or um, solely a property of radio drama or any other kind of sound-based uh, storytelling. I mean, a well-written book will transport you into another world, you know, just as easily. We could argue that's a prototype of virtual reality. Movies and visual situations can also make us believe that we're there. I mean, the first time I saw the Alien movie, I was totally discombobulated. As I walked out of the movie theater, I had no idea even what city or state I was in. And I was really glad that it was daylight yes, you know, when, right. I, when I walked out of the movie theater. No so I've been very I, engaged I, in that. I, me too. I, I love the fact that they also never told the actors about the whole scene of the, the alien ripping out of the guy's chest, that they just let the honest reactions of what was going on experience throughout that. That would have been terrifying to be an actor in that situation as well. Sadly, we're running you out can, of time. You can do that in radio as well. I mean, yeah. uh, we do have to, I think, provide some guidelines for the listener i mean mark mentioned it earlier we often have to name the person we're speaking to uh, just so the audience will know what's happening with regard to the conversation and we also maybe have to provide clues about action oh look here comes john he'll have an answer for us or ooh, the aliens are coming down you know the the river uh whatever but um if the sound is engaging enough, and, and Mark, I think, speaks nicely to this, that the voice differentiation between the characters 
the audience is going to figure that out. The audience is going to make their own markers, their own connections, and they're going to then be part of the story. And whether they're just going along like a fly on the wall observing, or they're going along as one of the adventurers you know, in this story, that's okay. They're going along. They're part of the story, and they're engaged, and that's what Reimagined Radio is looking for. And so what can people look forward to for Reimagined Radio coming up and into 2022? Oh boy, uh, we're talking about all sorts of interesting things. Um, Candy Matson tribute, I've already spoken about that. That's be our November episode. Since 2013, uh, Reimagined Radio has performed some adaptation of The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and that has become a community tradition. I'd like to break with that somewhat this year, and rather than yet another iteration of The Christmas Carol, I'm uh, proposing and, and working with Mark to produce uh, what right now has got a working title of a holiday Christmas sampler. So I'm actually uh, trying to draw from various uh, classic OTR radio programs um, like the Damon Runyon Theater, Jack Benny, uh, Rocky Fortune, uh, Vic and Sade, and pulling out bits and pieces of um, radio, uh, even Christmas episodes from uh, those um, uh, series and uh, stitch them together around the theme of, uh, you know, what are the holidays all about? What sort of things do we want to do? So Christmas cards. Well, Vic and Sade have a really interesting uh, episode about that. Marcus mentioned Fergersky. It's actually uh, Fergersky at Findhorn on Acid will be our January production. That'll be a ground. Actually, we're starting below ground. Um, this is an adaptation of a pioneering work of hypertext fiction, with fiction never produced for print to be read on a computer by clicking hyperlinks to navigate multiple ways through the story. Um, so I've come up with one storyline that puts all three characters and the two artifacts, main artifacts of the story, in one place at the same time, and then we have them play out their, their craziness. Um, so that's uh, going to be that. We're talking about um, the fall of the city, uh, partnering with the Willamette Radio Workshop, and uh, music and sound effects uh, specifically produced by uh, Mark uh, for that episode. I've got a um, William Conrad uh, tribute, The Abominable Snowman. I and, just listened uh, to that, The Escape episode. Yes. Right? That was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. We want yeah. to do that along with Bloody Hands from Gunsmoke, where right. Matt Dillon retires. Uh, only for a few hours because he can't. You know, there, there's nobody left to defend Dodge City if he's and he's under contract, so he has to come back. Yes, <laughs> I love William Conrad. What a what a talent he was! Mm. Fantastic. Yes, I, and a great voice. I mean, a, a tribute just voice. to that voice is is worthwhile. The voice was amazing. I I recommend, by the way, speaking of westerns, the uh, six shooter. Christmas one where is is a great variety. I don't know if you've heard it. 
it's it's a great variation on uh, Christmas Carol, a beautifully beautifully well done one. Where a kid sort of runs away and he goes and tells this kid the story to try to bring him back home around Christmas time, and he utilizes the Christmas Carol in, in a very inventive way. So that would be an interesting one to do in the future if you're interested. It would be absolutely. Uh, we could have Christmas every month that way. <laughs> uh, Mark it would Scott, be for uh, me if you did that. <laughs> I would Christmas every month for me. Yeah. Uh, Mark has got some interesting ideas for um, uh, upcoming episodes as as well, um, based on feedback from the voice actors that he's been working with. So, uh, Mark, uh, throw out your ideas. Yeah, the, we yeah, have. Uh, as a result of this War of the Worlds thing, a lot of people have come forward and, and suggested, no, this idea, since you're liberties with one of the oldest shows ever. Here, I got some idea. And uh, a, a couple of these folks, uh, one guy in particular, on Fusebox, um, had the uh, uh, brash and uh, uh, unforgivable notion to, uh, to say, you know, since this uh, War of the Worlds thing is a seasonal thing, and, and, and rightly so, it should be, regardless of what version you should do it, right? to tackle it completely over and just rewrite it from the ground up throw stuff and just you know start from scratch uh we'll see i've asked a bunch of people to send me treatments of uh what their ideas are some of these uh, stories will be short they won't be hour long things they'll be very short but we'll do uh you know kind of a anathological thing um and uh we have Plans. I don't know how. It's going to depend on some hardware, but uh, we have some plans to do a yeah. uh, uh, sort of an interdimensional lifestyle and food show, where we're going to we're going to take you to a, a, a very different place, and uh, we're going to cultures that live there, the foods they make, the animals that live there, the people who play instruments, all sorts of weird things. Uh, th this this borrows on a concept that uh, uh, Gerald and I came up with in 1975, uh, wow. called Tale Tale Tales of Far One, and we've been we've been working on this thing for a lot of years. So, uh, if you're interested in that, go to ensernate.com, E-N-S-E-R-N-E.com, media.com, and uh, they can see what we're talking about. Um, but uh, that's going to be one. But like I say, that's going to require a little front end. But it might, uh, it might, it might make uh, make the cut. But in any case, lots more spoken word fun and game adaptation, things like that coming down. And uh, we've sure. got uh, we've got a script uh, submitted by Jack Ward. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> In the I mix didn't know if well. you wanted to mention that or not <laughs> at this point. I actually uh, really enjoyed. No, yeah, it's actually, great. Jack. We appreciate right. it. You finished it? Oh, good. yes. Yes. Well, we'll I, have I did that. <laughs> so that's good. Is it something that you guys might be interested in doing at some point? Would it fit your schedule? Yeah, because it didn't go anywhere where I thought it was going to go. And it and it's since the POV is is sort of rep. You know, I mean, it's it's being related to us through news uh, organizations and stuff. I really like the whole premise of it. So yeah, we'll see. You know. 
We'll There's an opportunity that. for different voices from different locations, each of which would have a unique sonic envelope and ambience associated with it that could be really fun to play with uh, with regard to an episode of uh, Reimagined Radio. It's chunky, uh, which you know we need to do because right now we're broadcasting on community radio and we have to include sponsor spots so we can't have an uninterrupted story. So something that uh, can chunk nicely without losing interest while mm -hmm. we listen you know, to uh, cannabis ads and, and that sort of thing coming on the community <laughs> radio station. As uh, you do, we, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're the, uh, oddly enough, the uh, founding sponsor, so they have to mm -hmm. appear in, uh, in every, every program. And it's never been produced before, so I'm thrilled about that idea. Because well, every time cool. I try it, I've never been able to get enough people together to do the right thing for it. Oh, so. yeah, that's that's that's, that's cool. always well. When uh, when we do it, you'll be one of the people that will contact. You can be yes. a voice in, oh. in your in your drama. That is very kind of you. Thank you so much. And and this wasn't supposed to be about me, but I appreciate it. That's that's awesome. It's so good to talk to both of you. We've already hit an hour, and I feel like I just scratched the surface. So we're going to have to have you come back at some point, and we'll talk some more about some of the new things that you guys are going to be doing in the future. Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much, Mark. It's great to see you both. I know both of you are now engaged in Mutual Audio Network, so we're going to see a lot more of reimagined radio through that which is fantastic i'm so We're excited very happy to be there thanks for the opportunity and thanks yeah, for the invitation for this conversation today oh Absolutely. thank you so much and oh and for anybody who knows if we get this out in time uh, just, I guess, in a week's time, we're going to be releasing on the Sonic Society your War of the Worlds for Halloween Day, which is going to be amazing on Sunday Showcase. So that's going to be very cool as well. Lots of fun stuff to come. And I can't wait to hear your Candy Matson. I'm just, I'm already excited to, to hear what's coming up next. Thanks so much, gents. Thank you, Thank Jack. You. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thanks a lot. Good night. Bye. Hello, I'm John Bell of Bells in the Battery, along with my associates, Arnie Kunchbein. I can introduce myself. Thank you very much. All right. Hi, I'm Arnie Kunchbein. That's it. That's it. And also, do you want me to introduce you, Brad? Well, of course, Mr. Bell. That's your job as host. Thank you, Brad. And I'd like to introduce Brad. Hold it. What? Here's your script. Script? Well, <laughs> you got to know what to say. All right. <clears throat> And introducing Brad Montworth, a salesman, incomparable public relations expert, and, of course, unrivaled attorney at law. No, come on, you know how to say it, Mr. Bell. Unrivaled attorney, attorney, at, attorney at, at law. law. Oh, Mr. Bell, you shouldn't say those things. You make me blush. Can I do my introduction over again? No. 
We're here for an important reason. Very important. Indeed. If you think you deserve significant financial compensation, call Brad Motworth, attorney, attorney at attorney. law. Oh, boy. At 555 No, 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 no. We're here to remind everybody to take steps to avoid the coronavirus. Yeah, don't catch it. Because there's no one you can sue. Wash your hands thoroughly and keep social distancing. What? Social distancing. One more time. Stay about six feet away from everybody else. Right, very good. Oh, I gotta wash my hands thoroughly. I don't want to get me this corona. Ooh, keep your distance now. Socially. I want to keep feeling fine corona. Never gonna stop getting squirts from my Purell. I'm always gonna buy all the toilet paper that they sell. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, corona. Bye, corona. Don't get no closer, huh? Beat it, huh? Far enough where I can't see your eyes, Corona. An illness history is not for me. Uh-uh. Don't want to try your COVID on for size, Corona. Never gonna touch. Stay away. My epidermis never wants to be close to where that nasty germ is. Bye, 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 bye. Woo. Fly Corona! Fly Corona! Pumpkin Pie Corona! Wait a minute! Goodbye Corona! Good riddance!